Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We are so happy you have joined us today, and I think you will be too after the show is over, because you will learn a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to select and store them, how to prepare and cook them, and surprising facts about their history and origin. We hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only for your health, but also for your delight and pleasure as you explore their amazing world of taste and delicious flavors. Eating more of them will transform your life in so many positive ways. So settle back, relax, and get ready for another delicious adventure with the Produce Buzzers. Produce Buzzers podcast fans, welcome to another delicious episode of the Produce Buzzers podcast. Well, this week we celebrate National Herbs and Spices Day. June 10th, this Friday, June 10th, is dedicated to honor these delicious flavorings that make our fruits and veggies taste even better than they already do. Walk into any grocery store almost anywhere around the world and you will see shelves lined with the incredible variety of herbs and spices that Mother Earth has to offer us. They are so readily available in our modern world that we take them for granted. But that is one of the many luxuries that the modern world has brought to us and we're so thankful for that. For most of human history, herbs and spices were not easy to get. In fact, they were as prized as gold, silver, and other precious metals. In fact, several hundred years ago, one such spice, nutmeg, became much more valuable than gold. As a result, in the 1600s, the British and the Dutch fought over an island in Indonesia that was covered in nutmeg trees. They fought for several years over this island before agreeing to a treaty in which the Dutch kept that island in return for another island on the other side of the world. That island was Manhattan. The Dutch had essentially <laughs> traded away arguably the most valuable piece of real estate in the world today for nutmeg. <laughs> Spices were the cause of many other wars in Europe and Asia over the past millennium, most notably the Crusades. When the Ottoman Empire blocked the trade routes from Asia that brought spices to Europe, the British and the Europeans finally decided that was just too much, and the Crusades began. And we all know that it was the love of spices that fueled the exploration of the world by the Europeans. Christopher Columbus was searching for a quicker route to India, hoping to improve access to these delicious flavorings. Vasco da Gamas found a way around the Horn of Africa, uh, all because of spices, and Magellan became the first to circumnavigate the globe looking for them. So next time you are looking at the herbs and spices in the grocery store or in your cupboard, don't take them for granted. Realize how wealthy we are today. <laughs> well, here at Produce Buzz, we don't take herbs and spices for granted, and we dedicate this episode to celebrate these culinary delights. So to do so, we have invited a very special guest on the podcast today. Our guest is a veteran of the produce industry, having worked in it now for over three decades. She obtained an agribusiness degree from California Polytechnic State University in the beautiful city of San Luis Obispo on the central coast of California. 
Right after graduating, she went to work selling avocados for one of the biggest growers and shippers of avocados in California, Mission Avocados. And later she worked for Bolt House Farms, which is a large grower of carrots in California, most notably baby carrots. But we are all proud to say she was one of our colleagues at the Nolan Network, where she worked with Teresa marketing and merchandising various produce commodities. Four years ago, she joined the team at Gourmet Garden, a very interesting purveyor of herbs and spices, where she serves as an account executive for the Eastern United States. Please welcome Melinda Richardson to the podcast today. Well, thank you, sir. What a great introduction you oh. gave me. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us, taking the time. No problem. Happy to be here. Great. So you are based in Boston and you are uh, now working for this wonderful company, which we want to hear more about. But first, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your career in the produce industry and uh, what were some of the highlights of working in the produce industry? Well, for an industry I basically fell into, I, uh, being an agribusiness major, I actually was had an eye on animal farming believe it or not, that's what I wanted to do after college. Um, but when I graduated, the economy was not good. And I think the figure was 3% of my graduating class had confirmed jobs at the time of graduation. Wow. So I attended a career fair at Cal Poly and I got invited down the mission for an interview. And I went down for the interview and the person that came out ahead of me was a Cal Poly grad and the person that came in behind my interview was a Cal Poly grad and somehow my number got pulled and I got offered a job and I just needed a job. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to work for Mission um, on the sales desk and I just kind of fell into produce and I've been in it ever since. I think it's an industry that you, you can't just like a little or it's okay. You either love it or you don't and you're out of it it's one or the other there's i don't think there's much in between yeah so. we, we love fruits and veggies and we all enjoy being in the produce industry over the years but it is tough work especially on the sales desk i think uh, that's the that's got to be the toughest place <laughs> yeah and it's certainly changed a lot over the last you know 30 years but um after mission i came east um, I lived my entire life within 110 miles of the California coast. And I thought, oh, there's a big world out there. And so I packed my bags and headed east to the Boston area and um, went to work for Teresa at the NOLA Network and spent a couple of years with her. And then when I was uh, having family, I needed, I needed that good old health insurance. So I had to find <laughs> a full-time employment gig rather than a contracting gig. And, um, you know, I've worked for, as you mentioned, Bolt House. Um, I also work for a company called Pacific International Marketing. They do about 200 commodities, both conventional and organic. Um, and I work for them in various roles in business development and marketing. Um, and then I kind of stepped back from that and I worked for uh, Robinson Fresh for a little while. I went to a startup at Suja Juice. I followed two of my colleagues from Bolt House, came a knocking on my door and said, will you come with us to the startup? Um, it was fun and exciting, but I learned very quickly the startup life was not for me. Um, you know, when your CEO is telling you you're going to be out of money by October, you start worrying about job security. And that was just not a place I wanted 
to be. <laughs> so um, it was fun because it, in some ways, when I was at Suja, oh gosh, I don't know, five and a half years ago now, six years ago now, um, it was like stepping back in time because it was just go sell. There were kind of no rules. It was just go sell, which was awesome and fun. Um, and again, to kind of go back to that mentality of, of just go do it, go get it done. Yeah. Um, and then I came to Gourmet Garden and four years ago, I, I kind of was looking to right side my work-life balance a little bit more um, and wanted to get out of the national gig and having a team of people that reported to me and, and that level of responsibility and pressure. And I said, you know what, I think I want to go back to like regional sales and just kind of be in the maker of my own destiny again. And boy, I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to do that. Um, and, you know, I wish now looking back, I would have done it earlier in my career. <laughs> 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 that's great but, um, to hear that's great to hear that you are have found that balance uh because i know what the produce sales especially if you're in california selling back east you were probably up very very early in the morning <laughs> making those yeah. phone calls right <laughs> yeah but i mean that's the produce great. industry has been great to me i mean i've met some phenomenal friends um over the years and like i said it's either an industry you you love or you hate and so it's been good to me and i have no complaints i've watched the produce department transform um i mean we went from having seasonal products to now basically a global supply and pretty much everything i mean there's that that you can make cases are good and bad of not having seasonality so much in the department anymore that stuff's available year round but um but it's, yeah. you know, it's been interesting to watch the transformation of the department. Right. That is a huge change that uh, the fact that uh, we were just talking about that on one of the latest episode, I think uh, we recorded, we were talking about asparagus, you know, you could only get asparagus in the springtime mm -hmm. when we were growing up. Uh, now it's there year round. There so, it's there year round. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think it's ultimately a good thing, <laughs> you know, there are, are some critics of that and for some good reasons, but uh, ultimately it's been a blessing. Like the spices, you know, think about, you know, it's only been the last two, 300 years that spices were available to the common person because they were so expensive, yeah. not, not available, but now people can eat healthier by getting these things from around the globe. Well, that's it. Cause most spices aren't grown here in the U S so right. <laughs> we wouldn't get a lot of stuff if we, you know, if we weren't getting global supply. So that's true. That's true. Well, yeah. tell us about gourmet garden and their herbs and spices. It's a, I think it's a very interesting story. Uh, yeah. Gourmet garden, um, actually in started in, it's an Australia, it was an Australian based company. And it started by two brothers who were Australian scientists that were frustrated with the short term life of culinary herbs. You know, we call it the wilt guilt, right? You buy a, a bunch of parsley or a bunch of basil and, you know, two days later you go to use it and it's wilted or black or, you know, just not edible. And so they were frustrated by that. And so being scientists, they set out to figure that out and they developed a patented process called Eva Fresh. And no, that's not a Boston accent. That's with an A. Um, I thought it was Australian. <laughs> yeah. They, they oh, sort maybe. of do the same thing. Yeah, they do. Um, but um, so it's called Everfresh. And I'm sure that's probably the play on why it was named that, actually. Right. But um, it's 
I, I'm no scientist, so I can't explain it totally, but it's basically a cold process um, that takes the herbs when they process the herbs and it maintains the color, the freshness, the flavor. And, you know, think about if you apply a lot of times when you're doing value added products or products that are processed, you, they go through a heat step or a acidification step where you add acid to it, whether that's lemon juice or something chemical to it, to um, raise the pH or lower the pH, whichever the way that is, I guess, lower acetic is lower. Had to go back to my biology. <laughs> there. Um, and that's what traditionally, you know, allows the product to have a longer shelf life. Um, but they developed this where you didn't have to apply heat or um, acidification to it. And so it allows the herbs to stay that way and they developed herb paste. And with this technology um, that we continue to use to this day. And so they developed that technology and actually sold it to a juice company in Australia in the late 80s. And then um, another partner kind of came in and they started playing with herbs and, and you know, to make it um, where it could be commercialized. And they, they worked with growers and they, they did, developed a whole processing plant and stuff. And so in the 1990s, um, they launched uh, Gourmet Garden Pace in Australia. Okay. And so those are by paste. Uh, can you explain to our listeners what you mean by that? Um, well, what is the, the first thing you think of when you think of paste is other than the stuff that you ate as a kid, right? That they don't make <laughs> right. paste is um, yeah. toothpaste. It's kind of, you know, they're herbs in a tube, much like a toothpaste tube. And it's, it's the consistency of, um, depending on the item and what it is, um, it's almost the consistency of toothpaste, a little bit uh, more liquid than toothpaste. Um, that you can use instead of fresh herbs. And yeah. so um, you squeeze it out and they last for a long time. Um, the shelf life on them is um, anywhere from 90 to 120 days. Um, and little known fact is if you freeze them, you can keep them for up to a year hmm. and they don't freeze solid. So you can use them right out of the freezer. Well, that's great. That certainly is a lot longer use life than the fresh herbs. Uh, tell us what are some of the flavorings that you put in the paste? Garlic, ginger, basil, cilantro, and stuff. And then they develop some different blends over time. Yeah. Um, we've kind of, you know, gone back and forth with more blends in our portfolio and less, depending on some of that's as consumer um, tastes and preferences change too. So in our lineup, we have some blends, like we have a Thai paste that's a blend of four or five different herbs to get kind of a Thai flavoring. Mm. Um, we are looking at more innovation in that space. Um, now, you know, moving forward to get into more blends as consumers become more familiar with blends. Right. Um, and especially since um, our parent company now is McCormick. We were purchased by McCormick in 2016. Okay, and big, so big spice company. So <laughs> yeah, just a little known spice company out there. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at some of, I'll call them McCormick's legacy um, flavorings, you know, think uh -oh. Montreal steak and, you know, things like that and how right. taco seasoning, things like that. How can we bring that to our side of the world um, in the fresh arena? Got it. And do you, do you have one that is for Italian seasoning? We do. We have an Italian seasoning, both um, in our paste line and then um, 
what I didn't quite get to in our evolution is that in 2014, the brothers developed a second patented process to lightly dry herbs. And it's for lack of better words, Fresno Lehman, it's like a giant microwave. And um, <laughs> it takes, it dries them, but not totally. And what what the difference is between our lightly dried product, which you, which has to be refrigerated and goes through cold process as well, versus center store, say even McCormick's um, spices in the center store, which are shelf stable, is the process allows for 30% of the essential oils in the herbs to be maintained. And that's where a lot of your flavor comes from. And so they reconstitute when you put them in a sauce or put them in cooking. And so it makes it much closer to a fresh herb flavor rather than a dried herb flavor. Hmm. Microwave, Rick. Microwave. <laughs> <laughs> <In the> microwave. <laughs> I actually do that myself. I actually preserve my own herbs that way. Yeah, but do you, you better get a patent on it because this is, sounds like kidding. they're right on your heels. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I haven't tried is fresh herbs in the microwave. We, we have a running, Melinda may not know, we have a running joke. Almost every episode, Rick brings up one of his microwave recipes for veggies. And so we really rib him about it. So. <laughs> well, there are some good ones out there. I, you know, yeah. I, I microwave my corn a lot. I'll be honest. I take the shortcut with corn. Right. <laughs> you do it in the husk? I do, yes. Yeah. Yes. It also it's, makes it's it easy to husk. Make it. Yeah. yeah. You can't make it any better than that. See yep. like-minded consumers here. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> is there some type of an oil base or something in that paste? Or how do they there is um canola oil or sunflower oil in a lot of the paste that um help maintain the freshness but also keep the you know microbes at bay if you will so i've tried both of your products i prefer the ones that are in like the little the little bowls yes bowls, cups yeah those were a nice option for me because i would die with basil parsley what do you mean you die with basil it would go bad well, because if you don't if you don't yeah. use the whole amount of basil you keep it on the counter, it dies, it wilts. Right. Okay. If you put it in the refrigerator, then it'll turn black, but it's still usable. It just doesn't have the green color that you're looking for. So this was a nice option for me to have in the refrigerator drawer to not be beholden to, to fresh. I always hate when I have a recipe that calls for like one teaspoon of fresh parsley. Well, then you have this big old bunch of parsley and you're like, I hate throwing it away, but what else am I going to make with it? And so I, you know, I, I've, that's why I love our product line um, just because it has opened a lot of doors to that because you can have that fresh herb experience without kind of losing the rest of it or something that you use in small doses. I actually use both product lines, but for very different reasons. Like I, I typically use the paste when I cook, like mm -hmm. if I'm making sauces or stews or, or to marinate meat, I'll use paste as well, where I use the lightly dried, much like I'd use a fresher where I'd sprinkle over the top or something like that. Um, when I make like pasta sauce, I'll use both because I use like the garlic paste, but then I use lightly dried Italian herb. Can you explain to our listeners about the differences in those two products? Well, the bowls are a lightly dried product. So they're okay. a, they're a, right. 
um, a chop. So we take the, the basil and it's, um, you know, it goes through this process, the giant microwave, if you will, right. um, and lightly dries them. And then it, we chop them up. So it's just okay. a chopped bowl of, um, we call them bowls or cups because they're in little plastic um, right. containers at retail, but um, it's just chopped and prepped, basically ready to roll herbs. And we do, we don't have as many products in those. And those are all, other than Italian seasoning, which is a, a blend of three herbs, they're all single herbs. So we have a lightly dried ginger, we have a lightly dried parsley, a lightly dried cilantro, lightly dried basil, and then Italian herbs. Um, and those are, those were introduced um, in 2014. And they, you know, what we found is, is, they're just a different usage usually for our consumers. I mean, you can use paste and lightly dried kind of interchangeably if you want to. It's really kind of what the consumer prefers. Yeah, right. Um, I just find that I use the lightly dried, um, you know, more so like instead of chopping my own herbs, I do that. For our lightly dried products, if you open up the containers, they have an aroma and a flavor and everything that is really, really close to a fresh, to their fresh brethren, if you will. Um, and some of the I would reason, agree with that. And some of the reason for that too is that in the process, part of the processing for both our paste and lightly dried is that we process the herbs within eight hours of harvesting them. So all of our herbs are grown within five hours of our processing facility. And then they're brought in and processed within eight hours. And so they don't start dehydrating, you know, anything we harvest, right? Starts dehydrating right away, um, being severed from, you know, its roots and stuff. And so these are the closest things you're going to get to fresh herbs without having a fresh herb. Right, right. Okay. So that's what I, I want to know. And I think that it is really lovely for a garnish because it does maintain the integrity of the chop. It does. How long does the lightly dried last lightly dried um depending on the herb i suppose it depends on the herb but it's there's 75 days to 90 days okay that's great and then we usually tell consumers within four weeks of opening that cup um use it up because it starts you know dehydrating from there so you will lose a little bit of the flavor profile you know if you wait it out the whole 75 days or something i still use them i also throw them in the freezer and use them out of the freezer Oh, that's a good idea. Do the does the basil discolor? It does not, no, because of the process. So it will not discolor, which is lovely when you go to you know grab something because that's my biggest thing with basil is it just it always turns black on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned about the health value of uh, herbs, Melinda? There's a lot of health benefits to herbs. Every herb has a different, you know, herbs have been used in medicine for years. There's different medicinal benefits. It's a great way to get flavor into your food. The number one, you know, kind of, I'll call it spice, which isn't really a spice, but in the U.S. is salt, um, you know, used as salt, yet other countries in the world don't use salt or use very little of it. And actually in our world headquarters, McCormick's, salt is not available in the cafeteria. <laughs> there is oh, every, there is every spice and herb and everything known to man in that cafeteria. Salt is not in there because you can get flavor without using salt. Um, but we're so ingrained, especially here in the U.S., to put salt into everything and salt to enhance flavor, which it certainly can enhance flavor. But we also know there's not some great health benefits when there's too much salt in your diet. If you were going to substitute a herb 
for salt, which one would you use? Really depends on the dish. It depends what you're making or, or, you know, and also how you're preparing it, you know, and, and look, herbs are, can be polarizing. Um, you know, certain people don't like basil, certain people don't like cilantro, cilantro, probably the biggest one genetically. There's some of you that don't do cilantro. I personally love it, would eat it by the bunch, but you know, I know there's others that, you know, and it's not, I just don't like it. It's, it's actually a genetic thing that tastes like soap or dirt. Um, is what I'm told. If you have that certain gene where you can't really eat cilantro. Um, but, so it really depends on what it is, um, Rick, you know, of what you're cooking. I bet you garlic would be, would be the, the thing that if you were stuck on a desert island, you didn't have salt, you'd probably put garlic in there. Unless you're a person that doesn't like garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I personally vampires. love garlic, but <laughs> yeah, or a vampire. <laughs> what herb or spice have you used, have you learned to use since you've been working for them that you didn't use before? Probably the, the one thing I use all the time now at home that I never used prior was, is ginger. Um, you know, ginger is one of the things that's, I love ginger. I love the ginger, you know, flavor and everything, but working with ginger root and, you know, dealing with it, not going to happen, you know? And so, I mean, ginger, I use it. Yeah. And now I use it in, in both savory and sweet dishes and stuff. Um, you know, some of my favorite recipes with our ginger is are actually desserts, um, and utilizing it that way. And so, um, and ginger is a phenomenal, you know, um, anti-inflammatory it's you know great for digestion all of those things so ginger is probably the the item i use the most that i didn't use prior to mm. coming here what's the most popular product for gourmet gardens um ginger and garlic paste are two of the most popular and then right behind depending on the time frame lightly dried basil is up there in the top three as well um, sometimes is number one, sometimes is number two, sometimes is number three, um, followed by lightly dried parsley. And then, then it's kind of a, a differing race between in garlic. We ha actually have three different garlic paste. We have a smooth garlic paste. We have a chunky garlic paste, so much more like mm. a minced garlic. And then we launched a roasted garlic, which gives you a much sweeter flavor, um, with that roasted taste. Um, so we have three different garlic paste. Um, but they're all in their, you know, top 10 items. Um, and then the green herbs, you know, cilantro, parsley, basil, right. they're up there. I'm on your website right now. And I see this, this would be really perfect for me for the jalapeno stir in paste mm -hmm. because I don't like it hot. So like a little squirt and I'd be good. And then Edwin would use the entire <laughs> Yeah, on one crack. Tube. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jalapeno is our newest item. I mean, we've had it, it came into distribution right about the time the pandemic hit. But oh. um, but yeah, that was a newer thing. We were trying to, you know, look at what, you know, what gives the consumer value, right? And what don't they like handling or isn't necessarily accessible to consumers. And so jalapeno is, is pretty well known in the US. It, you know, it's kind of one of those things that consumers are, that aren't um, lovers like Edwin is of jalapenos that, um, you know, they don't want to necessarily mess with it. Um, so this, you know, was a good value for them. And, 
you know, yeah, that would be one of the best advantages. Yeah, not I think having that, to slice it, get it on your fingers, put mm, it in your eyes. Have the gloves eyes. on. Don't touch yeah. your face. Exactly. We've actually talked about um, expanding the peppers to have kind of a mild, medium hot. You know, we've looked at habanero. We've looked at red jalapeno too, which I think is it's pretty paste, um, you know, um, because it's red just for some color in our line. That's green, 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 more green. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've looked at some of the really hot peppers, but I think there's such a limited audience for some of those really hot, like Carolina Reaper ghost pepper type thing that, you know, I'm not sure if we'd ever innovate there. We'll see, but I've yeah. become so desensitized to the heat of peppers that jalapenos taste like bell peppers to me. Because <laughs> you burn all your do. taste buds off. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like a lot of spice too, so... <laughs> That's where I, I learned that in California, living in, you know, we grew up here in North Carolina, but I uh, went to California soon after college. And uh, the, that's where I began to develop the, the, the love of spicy foods. <laughs> yeah, no, I do too. That's the thing I still miss. The second I hit the ground in California, I am on the all Mexican, <laughs> all diet all the time. I should, maybe I shouldn't take the time to tell this story, but I, when, you know, when I moved back from California to Plymouth to work with Teresa, my wife and I went to this restaurant and we were looking for something kind of spicy and they had chili on the menu. So we, uh, we ordered the chili and the waitress said, no, you can't have it. And I said, what, what, what do you mean you can't? She goes, it's too spicy. Everybody who orders it sends it back. And we said, well, well, we'll take our chances. We, we like really spicy food. So she says, okay, but if, if you want to send it back, I'm not going to let you send it back because I warned you. <laughs> and so she, and she brought this big pitcher of water and set it on the table full of ice. She said, I'm bringing this so that you have something to wash that down with. So she brings the chili. We taste it. It was like ketchup. <laughs> yeah, it was mild, right? <laughs> it was, there was no spice at all in it. Yeah. <laughs> are all your herbs grown in Australia now still, or are you starting to look for other growing regions no they're all in australia now um you know there's talk of of you know building a processing plant other parts of the world especially now being owned by mccormick and you know them having a global presence basically in all the different countries across right. the globe um but for now everything's done in australia and unfortunately not unfortunately but because of the process and everything needing to be processed within eight hours of harvest um you know we can't really fly them over here or fly them anywhere else um right. Right. so yeah currently everything's still done in australia which has been great fun during the pandemic and with some of the shipping challenges and stuff but, oh i bet yeah um right yeah and what areas of australia is this grown in we're on the palm coast um, so we're, that's where our processing facility is. So everything's kind of, like I said, within a five hour radius around there is where everything's grown. So Australia, that little section of Australia has become a, an herb garden, thanks to gourmet gardens. That's great. Uh, the big spice company, McCormick, uh, recognized the potential, the success and the potential for gourmet gardens and decided to buy it a few years ago. I read that they have $6 billion in sales revenue every year and in, operate in over 170 countries. What can you tell us about your parent company, McCormick? McCormick has, has um, always been kind of the market leader in 
spices and herbs. Um, you know, I mean, the company's been around forever and a day and, and that's how they were born. And then, you know, McCormick owns 50 other brands. I mean, many household name brands that quite frankly, I didn't know McCormick owned until I came here. Um, but they look at themselves as a flavor company. So we're a flavor company. Um, we, you know, we have a consumer products division that sells to retail. And then we have a, what we call flavor solutions division. So we provide flavoring to basically pretty much every other food company and own demand. Um, whether that's in snack food flavoring, fast food flavoring, beverage flavoring, you name it, we do it. Um, so there's kind of the two sides of the business um, with it. And, you know, we have operations all over the world because we source um, from all over the world. Within the McCormick portfolio, um, we have different spices. So we have kind of our core line, the red cap as we call it. So it's your, you know, the most familiar McCormick with the red caps on top, red and white bottles. Um, you know, McCormick has what they call a gourmet line. So a, a higher end product, a little more niche, if you will, um, you know, in the way it's grown or a varietal type or things like that. Um, and so they have a gourmet line. A lot of does those that have all, a, does that have a different branding? Is it McCormick? It's called McCormick Gourmet right. and they're in green glass bottles. They're oh, all in glass. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so there's those different things and you see it in vanilla too. Like, you know, McCormick's obviously very well known for vanilla, but we have like a small batch of vanilla now that's really high end for, you know, the, the foodies out in the world. Not all spices are created equal, I guess I will say. So, okay, they so can, that, I they mean, can range so much in price, the different brands. So mm -hmm. that's good, that's good. But I have tried the McCormick with the green tops too. And I, and I, I uh, gravitate to McCormick because, it, of course, that's what I was raised on. Mm -hmm. All so, of us um, Yes. <laughs> and I look at it as a consumer myself of what are you using it for, right? I, I mean, I, if I'm making chocolate chip cookies, I don't know if it's regular vanilla or if it's the frou-frou one. And, like, I, I'm perfectly content with my chocolate chip cookie with regular vanilla in it. So I don't need to go get the $42 bottle of it, you know, and try that. I'm sure that, <laughs> you know, it gives you I, – I think – I would say whatever you're using it in. If you're using it to enhance your dish, if you're using it as the primary flavoring of that dish, you know, maybe if you were making a vanilla custard or something, you might want to go to that higher end. I mean, that's not me, <laughs> but, but um, you know, so there is differing, you know, kind of varieties in there. And the other thing too, is that your herbs and spices, you know, I grew up in the household where if you had turmeric from, you know, 1972 in the year 2000 in your cabinet, you used it. That can lasted in there forever, right? And no, no, they, they do degrade over time. And, you know, they definitely, you know, you want to replace them um, because they will lose flavor over time and you won't get the same eating experience out of them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good activity for uh, herbs, national herbs and spices day. Check your cabinet for your herbs and spices and make sure clean out your spice yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i do christmas time yeah. so that's great for sure well this has been fantastic um any more you want to tell us about gourmet garden and or mccormick 
right? Just, you know, go out and, and, you know, try something new, try a new flavor, you know, find a recipe with something you never cooked with or something that you're curious about and try it. I mean, I, I have been lucky enough to, you know, be a part of this large entity and, and have kind of access to some of these things at my fingertips. And so I've tried different things and, and it's amazing when you go outside your comfort zone and that can be true even in the produce department, right? I mean, Yes. Pick up a dragon fruit or pick up something you've never tried. I mean, my, my kids were the, the kids at school that had the gold kiwis or had the dragon fruit or had the prickly pear that everybody went, what's that? And they go, Oh, try it. You know, they were, and then my oh, friends were going, where the heck do I buy this thing that your kid had? For people who don't uh, eat fruits and veggies that often, because they just, you know, they're kind of boring. Uh, you know, Gourmet Garden and McCormick can help you start to love those veggies. And yeah, and try them. the different flavorings, you know, and, and use especially, right, vegetables. There are those of us that, you know, didn't love vegetables probably growing up because, um, you know, our mothers boiled them to death and, you know, you right. ended up with these. <laughs> We've <laughs> with heard these, that before. <laughs> you know, but, you know, try different things and, you know, flavor them up and you can do it with, you know, spices. I mean, I, okay, I hated Brussels sprouts until I went to Teresa's house for dinner one night and uh -huh. Teresa <laughs> made Brussels sprouts and I love them and I eat them probably at least once a week. Wow. Now, and story. because I tried them in a different way and I've had the opportunity of traveling a lot throughout my career. So eating out at, you know, business dinners and things. And so I've tried so many different foods being out. And so it introduces you to stuff. You know, I think people are afraid to try new things sometimes and go, oh, I don't like that. You and know? getting that variety uh, of things in the fruit and veggie world, especially is does it has its health benefits. So we encourage that as well. So I appreciate yeah. you doing that. And try different types of cooking styles too. You know, I, I've learned I was never, I always loved salad and there were, you know, certain vegetables I ate, but I was not a big vegetable person outside of that. But I've learned you know, the use of my air fryer and roasting. I will eat almost any vegetable if you roast it or you air fry it versus boiling or steaming or whatever um you know i grill a lot of veggies you know mccormick has a massive grilling platform with their um, grill mates line of things and so you know i've grilled pineapple i've grilled broccoli i you know i grill different things now too and you know sometimes just a different flavor profile sometimes you know somebody hates broccoli but you get it in a different you know cooking preparation it takes on a whole other life yeah Good, good advice for everybody. Yeah, that, that is good advice. So when you say they have a massive grilling platform, is that a website that has lots of grilling recipes or? They have a whole line. It's called the Grill Mates line. So that's where uh -huh. Montreal steak came from. Yeah. And they make right. you know, all different kinds of seasonings and stuff in that Grill Mates line. And pretty much any flavor profile you can find in there from Carolina barbecue that's, you know, a mustard-based barbecue to whatever. And they do, um, you know, dry rubs, they have wet rubs, they have different things in that Grillmates platform. So some of them are packets, right? So they're found with your dry gravy mix and that kind of section. Um, and then some are also in the spice aisle. Um, but they're, you know, they're just different flavor profiles. I love, they have little packets that you add 
water and or oil too to make a marinade for meats um, or fish. And they have everything from garlic herbs, citrus herb, barbecues, chipotles. They, you know, kind of every flavor profile. And I love those as a go-to, like on a, you know, I get out of work at five o'clock or 5.30 and everybody goes, what's for dinner? And I go, oh, I have no idea. And so those are great because it's a 30 minute marinade. I learned the greatest trick ever. Um, if you massage your marinade and your meat, you can do a 30 minute or a, or a 24 hour marinade in five minutes by massaging that marinade into your meat. Mm. So you take your chicken or your beef or pork or whatever you're putting it in, you know, a nice uh, thick like freezer bag, you know, Ziploc bag, and you just massage it. Like you're giving it a massage for five minutes and that marinade gets right in that meat. It's like you, it sat in marinade for 24 hours. It's the best thing ever. Because I'm not good at planning ahead if you haven't figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great tip. I've often been caught in in that scenario where I really wanted to grill some chicken or meat, uh, but I wanted it to have a great marinade on it. So thanks for that tip. And thanks for all the other helpful information and interesting information you gave to our listeners today. We really appreciate that. So as a reward, we've got a couple of fun segments that we do here on the Produce Buzzers podcast with our guests. Well, Edwin, it was hard for me to find a homegrown for this week, but I mean, I came up with something, but it's really bad. So well, I that makes that sense. Teresa. What's a homegrown? Okay. okay. <laughs> Every episode, or almost every episode, we've missed it a few times, but uh, Teresa loves her puns. Her puns. Yes, I'm aware okay. of Teresa's puns. So, Actually, I have one. I have one I was going to send you, Teresa. Oh, oh good. Well, why I don't you it. tell it to us? I have to find it now because I, I actually thought of it this morning when I was like, oh, I found that pun I was going to send to Teresa and I never did send it. So I'll have to dig it up again because I see okay. these things once in a while and go, oh, Teresa would love this. <laughs> so we... We decided she was, she's found a lot of fruit and veggie puns, so we try to do one in each episode, and we call that segment Home Grown. <laughs> and when we we when she tells it, we know it's going to be bad. So we after she gives the punchline, we all groan. Groan. Have to groan. <laughs> Most of our guests are too nice to Teresa; they don't groan. But. <laughs> Melinda, Melinda, you have to groan today. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so should I introduce Homegrown? Go for it. <laughs> All right. So, Produce Buzzers podcast fans, it's time for your favorite segment on the Produce Buzzers podcast. I know, I know you hate it. Come back. Don't go away. You have to stay and listen to another home grown uh, no. <laughs> Teresa what have you got for us today a uh, herb farmer had heard that music would actually help his plants grow better so he he went far and wide trying different kinds of music and what musician do you think he chose as the very best for growing herbs. Peaches and herb. <laughs> oh, I Good one. 
Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. <laughs> good no? one. Good one. Good Was that one. it? No, the Red one. Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, Melinda, you got a guess? I don't. I'm okay. Thinking. All right. Okay. So the herb farmer found that his favorite musician for growing herbs was Elvis Parsley. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I like your answers better. <laughs> we all think Elvis was good with that. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. all right. Okay. So sorry, Melinda, to put you through that. But we have another segment, which won't be quite as painful, I don't think. Uh, we love to do little trivia quizzes here on Produce Buzzers podcast. And as you probably would guess, uh, the trivia we do is about everything f- about fruits and veggies. So everybody get ready to play. Today's trivia questions will be about surprise herbs and spices. So, I will ask the questions. You shout out your answers. Whoever gets the most right answers wins. Okay? All right, let's get ready. The first ones are kind of easy. They'll get a little harder. Question number one. This herb is the most widely used herb in the United States. Parsley. Hey, where to go? Ah. <laughs> okay, this spice gives pizza its characteristic flavor. Oregano. Hey, Cynthia. Ah, <laughs> oh, she's a winner. Okay, the name of this spice or herb spice comes from the French word meaning nail. Not surprisingly, they look like nails. Oh, dear. I was gonna say, Teresa speaks French. <laughs> Teresa, that one's yours. You said Girl. nails. Yeah, nails. Not like fingernails, but like nails that Craig would be hammering. Clove. Clove. Yes. Oh, well done. The name of this wise-sounding herb comes from the Latin word salia, meaning to save. Sage. Sage. Hey, <laughs> okay. Long a symbol of remembrance. The name of this herb comes from a Latin word for sea dew. Sea dew? Sea dew, like dew on the grass, but sea dew. S e a d e w. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's the. It like also the can be. It also can be the uh, uh, a, a woman's name. Marjoram? Oh, no, no, that was a good guess. But try another one. Seedew. Simon and Garfunkel sang about this with two or three other herbs. Rosemary. Hey. Uh. <laughs> okay, this is an easy one. This is the most expensive spice in the world. Saffron. Hey, Melinda. <laughs> Right, I wasn't, <laughs> since we have to sign off now, we have to end it here. So that's all the questions. Let's check the scores. Let's see. Teresa had two right answers. Cynthia had 
two right answers. And Melinda had two right answers. Congratulations. It's a three-way tie. So congratulations. But we're out of time. H-Y-M-E. Very good. You should have had that for the groans. (laughs) Excellent. Beautiful. So thank you so much, Melinda, for joining us on the show today. It was great. We learned a lot. We're looking forward to trying more of the gourmet garden products. They sound so delicious. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for having me. It was great fun. Nice chatting with you all. Thanks for spicing things up for us. Oh, nice. (laughs) Goodbye. Thanks. Bye, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast, brought to you by Produce Buzz, the gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time, and please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page, and check out our website at www.producebuzz.com There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies how to select, store, and prepare them as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us Until next time be fruitful and don't forget to veg out